Montana. There's, there's no place quite like it. I mean, if you've ever been to Montana, it's called Big Sky for a reason. I mean, endless prairies and the, the Rocky Mountains and the Missouri River that flows through it. Uh, the stories of Lewis and Clark and, and Native Americans and buffaloes and cowboys and outlaws. I mean, it's, it's an incredible place. Now, of course, I'm a little bit biased because this is where I'm, I'm from. In fact, some of my ancestors were some of the early homesteaders to the area, to the Sun River Valley. Uh, in fact, my great-grandpa is in the Montana Cowboy Hall of Fame. My grandma is in the Montana Cowgirl Hall of Fame. And so I think it's just an amazing place. <laughs> How'd I do? I, I feel like if I had a voice like Sam Elliott, I could have pulled that off better. But here's the reality is that for me, there's no place that really deeply feels like home. And it's not because I don't love Montana, uh, where I was born, and it's certainly not because I don't love where I live right now, because I, I do. I think it speaks to the condition of humanity that there's no place that deeply feels like home or where we belong forever. Not only that, I mean, there's, there, there's no achievement that feels like we've really made it ultimately. There's no person that deeply fulfills that desire to belong at all times. And, and even though we move and we look and we search, I think deep within humanity, we know that there's no place, there's no person, there's no level of prestige that is the answer to that deep longing that we feel. Maybe you've had this experience yourself. You think that, you know, you find the job that you think is going to be the career forever, only to realize a couple months or years down the road that you don't like the people that you work with. Or, or maybe you find that, you know, while opposites attract, eventually opposites also attack. Or, or you move to that perfect town or that perfect place only to realize a little bit down the road that you don't like the drinking water or, or there's too much traffic or whatever it is. And we experience this tension. And what I've been thinking about for myself lately for probably the last month or so is I've just been drawn to a biblical text. And I think what we see in Scripture, in fact, if you're taking notes, write this in, is that that every longing that we have is a signpost to something better. That every longing that we have, God is designed to be a signpost to something better. And, and everything beautiful that we have in this world is a hint of, of what's to come. And every longing that we have in the midst of pain is a signpost to the day that one day God will wipe every tear away from our eyes. See, every longing that we feel is a signpost to something better. And the reason I say that is when you, you look at the, the text in Hebrews chapter 11, we talked about this a little bit last week, but it's called the Hall of Faith. And it's a series of men and women who exemplified this incredible level of faith. And in the middle of this passage, the author, she just begins to preach a little bit. And I want to read this to you because I think it, it gets to that idea of this deep sense of longing that we all have. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 through 16, it says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting, listen to this, that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They were foreigners and strangers on earth. 
See, everybody's got a, a, a metaphor to describe life. Life is like a race. It's like a trap. It's like a battle. But the metaphor that the Bible uses is, is that of pilgrimage. That these great men and women of faith realized that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Verse 14 says, people who say such things, that they're foreigners and strangers on earth, people who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. It's interesting that word country is the Greek word patris. And it refers and it goes much deeper than just simply a geographical or a a, a political area or region. It's not just country or a country of their own. It could be maybe even better translated as fatherland. That this is a place where they really belong. When the author refers to country, it's the place where you really belong, the place that you are completely happy. Fatherland. They were looking for a country, a fatherland of their home. I read a book. Actually, I've read it a, a couple times. It's called This is Where You Belong, and it's all about placemaking. It's about, you know, where no matter where you live, finding home in that place. And it, it's actually a really good, good book with a lot of practical ideas about how to make the place you live your, your actual home, anywhere from, you know, buying locally to joining a community organization, all sorts of different ideas. But what's interesting is that the reality of this verse that we're talking about today is that while we are to love and to serve and even enjoy the community that in which we live, deep down for those of us that are followers of Jesus, it comes back to, to and, until Jesus comes back, that this place we understand is, is not our home. That's why the author is constantly using this language of strangers and pilgrims and exiles to show that we're constantly, even unconsciously, looking for a fatherland, the place in which we really belong. I read a story a while back about the, the, the missionary Henry C. Morrison. And he had served the Lord in, in different countries abroad for years and years, faithfully serving and preaching the Word of God. And, and he decided to come back after decades of being away. And coincidentally, he shared the same, same ocean liner as President Teddy Roosevelt, who was coming back from one of his great safari hunts. And, and he gets back and uh, they dock in New York City. And, and there's just thousands of people there to welcome President Teddy Roosevelt back. And to his dismay, there wasn't a single person there waiting for Peter or for Henry. And so he gets off the dock and, and it's almost in this moment that, that he could feel the, the voice of the enemy saying, Ah, see, this is how they treat the great men of this world. And you, one of God's preachers of his word, you don't have a single person here to welcome you home. Well, Henry boarded a train and, and headed for his hometown in Wilmore, Kentucky. And, and after several lonely hours, he finally got to his hometown. And when he arrived at his, his hometown, there was not a single person from his family there waiting for him. There was a miscommunication as to when he would arrive. And there wasn't anybody there waiting for him. And, and he was just sad, depressed, lonely. And so he writes this hired carriage back to his house. And after all of this time that he had spent decades in serving the Lord, there was nobody. And so humanly speaking, he had reasons to complain. 
But it was in this moment that the Lord spoke a tender word to him. And he heard the Holy Spirit speak this to him. He said, Henry, you're not home yet. See, this text talks about these men and women of faith that were looking for a country of their own. They realized that they weren't home yet. Verse 15, it says, if they had been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. But instead, listen to this, they were longing for a better country. They were longing for a heavenly one, some, uh, a country that God would provide for them. That, the Greek word for longing is, is the word oregomai. And it literally means, it gives the picture of stretching your hand out, straining and stretching out, trying to grab a hold of something. Another translator uses the, the verb tense of this as, as the soul's homesickness. They were longing for a country. And it says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, for all of you Bible students, you know this, that anytime you see the word therefore, you've got to ask the question, what's it therefore? It's signaling something. What is it therefore? Why is God not ashamed? Well, it gives us two reasons, one before and one after. The first one, it says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a place for them. And so the first reason the author gives why God is not, a, be, not to be ashamed to be called their God is because God has done something for them, that he made a city for them. So the first reason that God is not ashamed to be called their God is because God has worked something for them, not the other way around. It doesn't say that God is not ashamed to be called their God because they had done something great for God, but that God had done something great for them. The second reason is this. It says, instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. See, the word therefore signals that a reason has just been given for why God is not ashamed. The reason is they're longing. They longed for a better country, the one that God had for them. And so two things make God ashamed to be called our God. The first one is that God has prepared something great for us and we long for it above all things on earth. In other words, the reason that God is proud to be our God is not because we have accomplished something great for God, but because he has accomplished something great for us and we long for it. See, there, there's nothing worth bragging about just because you have a longing for something. It, it's kind of like, it's kinda like uh, getting hungry when our friend Randy Bliss brings those delicious chocolate chip cookies to church. It's like, it, it's like getting hungry when uh, Jim and Cindy uh, do hospitality and they make something wonderful for us. It's like getting hungry when Dorothy brings her beef patties or when Christine makes her jerk chicken and rice and peas. See, there's, there's nothing that we do to, to, to create this delicious food. I just get hungry when I see it. And in the same way, we didn't create this country, but we, uh, we, we didn't long for it, or we didn't work for it. We just long for it and desire it above all, above all else. And my encouragement is, is that, we would, so we would recognize that in, in every tension that you feel, in every sense of longing that you feel, every ounce of pain that you go through, that we would recognize that it's a signpost to something better that God has for us. Uh, a story was told by a missionary uh, 
1991, there was a military coup uh, that resulted in some international uh, embargoes on the tiny Caribbean nation of, of Haiti. And as a result, life for many Haitians became very, very difficult even for survival. And there was a wonderful Haitian Christian woman that stood up in a prayer meeting in the midst of this incredible difficulty. And she, this is what she prayed. She prayed, we thank you, Lord, for the embargo because it's taught us to depend more fully on you. And it has given us a greater longing for heaven. You know, every tension that you feel, every ounce of pain that you go through, it, all of it is designed to be a signpost to something better that God has in store for us. And so we understand that we are just, we're just foreigners. We're just strangers. We're just exiles passing through. There's a story told about uh, some Christians who were traveling through the Middle East and they heard about this godly, wise old man that was li living out in the desert. And so they they made a trip out of their way to go visit this man, and, and when they came to his house, they were surprised that he was living in this tiny little hut with almost no furniture. He had, he had a cot and a table and a chair and a stove for cooking and heating, and that was it. And, and in his exasperation and his surprise, one of the young men just blurted out, he's like, well, sir, where's all your furniture? Where's all your stuff? And the godly man just kind of patiently looked at him and, and he replied, Well, son, where's all of your furniture? And the guy replied and he said, Well, all my furniture is at home, of course. I don't carry it with me. I'm just traveling. And this wise, godly old man looked at him and said, So am I. So am I. Let me remind you that we as followers of Jesus, we're just traveling through. In fact, C.S. Lewis, the great thinker, the great writer, he said that this life is only shadow lands compared to the glory to come. That even life at its best is just a, a, simply a shadow or a hint of heaven to come. It, it's, a, it's a hint of what's to come. And so we experience the joy of marriage, of course. But we understand that's only just a hint and a foretaste of the joy that we'll experience when we're with God forever. And, and we enjoy the beauty of God's creation, but we understand that it's just a foretaste of an even greater beauty that God has in store for us. See, every good thing that we experience in this life is just a hint and a foretaste of that which is to come. The other side of this is also true, though, that even life at its worst, that when we go through difficulties, it's just a simple reminder for us that, that one day God will remake heaven and earth, that one day God will be with us forever, that one day God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And so we understand every tension, every longing, every ounce of pain that we go through is simply a signpost to something better that God has in store for us. And we long for it. We long for it. Let me close with this story. There was an article in a San Francisco newspaper that reported about a young man who one day he was walking along the sidewalk and he found a $5 bill. Well, he decided that from that point on, this was his resolution, he would never lift his eyes off of the sidewalk. And as a result, the paper went on to say that over the years he accumulated, among other things, 54,172 pins, 29,516 buttons, 12 cents, a bent back, and a miserly disposition.
Let me ask you, where are your eyes fixed? If I could just speak to you for a moment as as your pastor, here's my concern and, and also my encouragement, is that many of us live our lives with our eyes fixed as if this life was all that we had. We, the way that we spend our time, the way that we spend our money, our energy, our resources, the way that we can often become consumed by anxiety and worry. And we forget that we are simply strangers and foreigners, even exiles on this earth. And we have the opportunity to lift our eyes and fix our eyes on the promise that God has for us that we would shift our longing from what we don't have or what we wish had to what we will have when God remakes heaven and earth. See, here's my prayer for each one of us, that we would remember that in every longing, in every tension that we feel, every ounce of pain that we go through, that all of these things are simply a signpost to the something better, the heavenly country that God has in store for us, and that we would live our lives in light of that.